Hello, welcome to the Basketball Soapbox. My name is Daniel Daly. Um, thank you for joining me. Don't forget to like, comment, and subscribe. And this one will be going over the top five storylines in the Eastern Conference. There's been a lot of playoff positioning going on. Entering the last, what, 18, 17 games into the final stretch of the NBA season. Um, let's start with our number one storyline in the East. Who will be the number one seed, the, uh, uh, the Bucks or the Celtics? Um, the Bucks just dropped a game to the Philadelphia 76ers, 133 to 130, bringing their record to 45 and 18 at the current moment. Only a half game up against the Celtics, who are 45 and 18, no, 19, I believe. Um, so there's a lot of playoff positioning between these two top teams in the East, and they really kind of mirror each other. Um, uh, getting it done on the defensive end, uh, the Bucks' offense has been picking up in the last couple games. The hottest team in the league uh, before last night dropping that game. They won 16 straight. They probably still are the hottest team in the league. They have an identity. They know what they, they are, especially picking up on the offensive end, getting Chris Middleton reacquainted, adding uh, Jay Crowder to their lineup. And I think the one thing that they really have is their size, and they're able to defend even in the in the uh, the backcourt there with Drew Holiday. He's, he's 6'4". He has a lot of size. You go to the front court with Bobby Porter, who's seven feet, Gian, Giannis Antetokounmpo, who's seven feet, Brooke Lopez, who is seven feet as well. And these guys just defend really well and hunch down, and that's really what got them started in, in the beginning of the season, even when their offense wasn't really good. They couldn't get anything going in the half court. And now you see with Chris Middleton, Drew Holiday picking it up, um, really trying to uh, uh, pick up that offensive end and actually increase their offense over the last 15 games or so and have really become one of the best teams in the league. Um, and that's just what the Milwaukee Bucks are. They're past champions. They have venture guys that know what to do. Everything's gelling together. Uh, I believe they were 17-3 and three before last night's game with Chris Middleton in the lineup, getting him reacquainted. They have been on a hot streak, really taking over the Eastern Conference in the league, and it's really just helped the Bucks, especially help Giannis get back into the MVP conversation where it kind of was falling off a little bit uh, right there before the All-Star break, right before January or so, right before the turn of the year. So to see Giannis really step it up and get these guys really going and, and really leading on that leadership and then Drew Holiday stepping in and playing really big minutes, scoring as well, picking up his game as well. But their defense has been magnificent. Um, as we move to the Boston Celtics, they've been a little bit up and down over the course of the season, um, over the last couple of weeks especially. Um, with guys in and out of the lineup, missing Marcus Smart there for a little bit, Robert Williams in and out. He just got hurt in that game against Cleveland. Um, but this team has been one of the best offensive teams in the league all year. And that was one of the things that I thought coming into the season where I was like, uh, especially last year where we saw what happened with the Celtics is uh, with the turnovers and, and, and not getting easy baskets, they kind of turned that around. Um, becoming one of the best offenses in league history to start the season, kind of simmered down a little bit, but still one of the top offenses in the league. I believe they're fourth right now or third right now. Um, but, yeah, this in that regard, I've just been great with Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum leading the charge, um, getting a lot of out of their shooting and shooting the ball. Malcolm Brogdon and Derek White have been awesome for the Celtics. And these two teams just really mirror each other uh, top to bottom, just hoping that they can be healthy. Of course, last season we saw with Chris Middleton out, in uh, that Bucks series, it still went seven just because of the Bucks relentless and they have the best player in the world, in my opinion, Giannis. Um, and these two teams are going to be battling out. There's going to be a lot of positioning. It's going to be interesting to see if a team uh, surrenders that and just tries to get rest heading into the uh, into the playoffs. Um, but these two teams are really going after it, uh, led by two MVP candidates in uh, Jason Tatum uh, for the Boston Celtics, who I believe is fourth right now, and Giannis Antetokounmpo, who I believe is 
second right now in the MVP running, but he really helped his case over the last uh, month and a half or so. Um, playing really, really well. Giannis averaging 31.3 points per game on the season with 12 rebounds and 5.4 assists. Jason Tatum at 30.3 points per game, 8.7 rebounds and 4.7 assists there uh, for Jason Tatum. Uh, and you just really just see what this team is really about with these two guys uh, leading the charge and seeing how strong they are. That's why they're first in the conference, having two MVP candidates like this, guys that play both sides of the ball and contribute in both different ways. Um, Giannis is just a relentless force for the Milwaukee Bucks uh, with Drew Holiday. But oh, I think an underrated part of the season has been Brooke Lopez has been able to find his shot again and has been able to play a fantastic defense next to Giannis. Um, Bobby Porter's coming back in the form of off the bench, of course, has always been a threat. Um, the addition of Jay Crowder, where everyone was kind of vibing for Jay Crowder, trying to figure out where he would go um, to start the season with all the turmoil going on there in Phoenix. Um, he ends up on the Bucks and has been a godsend for them, able to knock down some shots and be able to be pretty good there. And I think that was the one question mark is could he shoot it enough to give the Bucks an edge? And it looks like they are. They also signed uh, Goran Dragic recently as, as of today. Actually, so that's going to be an addition that's coming to the Bucks as well, giving them some ball handle duties in the backcourt, help them in that um, spacing there. Uh, but Jay Crowder adds them to play a, a bigger lineup as well with Chris Middleton and Drew Holiday, um, kind of relieving uh, Grayson Allen from that role a little bit. Um, the Milwaukee Bucks right now are 17th offensively in the league, but they've been a top offense over the last couple of weeks really pouring it on and really being one of the best offensive teams in the league over that stretch. Uh, their defense has carried them also from the beginning of the season as well. Um, just being one of the best defensive teams in the league. That's been calling their calling card. Um, they're second in defensive rating there on the season. And and, and that's the Milwaukee Bucks. They're not going to go away, but their offense has been picking it up. And that's the one thing that's been telling over the past couple of weeks. Um how Drew Holiday has really picked up his game in that regard and really scoring the ball and being efficient. Um, and something that hasn't been a strong suit over the past couple of years, he's been hot and cold a little bit, but he's really pouring it on of late. Um, moving on to the Celtics here, um, who are third in offensive rating and fifth in defensive rating. They're the only team in the top 10 and the top in the league that are his top five in both of those categories. So that's the real telling sign of the Boston Celtics, and that's why I've been so bullish on them. Um, throughout the whole season, because I thought if their offense was going to be good throughout the season, it has been. That's the one thing that has been consistent and has been holding up for the Boston Celtics. Um, but as we look towards their defense that has been coming along, especially when Robert Williams has come back, Marcus Smart has got back, Al Horford is playing a little bit more consistent on that end. And you've been able to add guys in and out that is actually having a fully healthy roster, especially with the additions of Malcolm Brogdon and Derek White on that end. That has helped the Celtics tremendously. Is just wondering if they can stay healthy right now to build that consistency on the defensive end. That is the one thing that they are missing, especially in that game the other night against Brooklyn. Uh, they just didn't play with any force. They didn't have any toughness there. So you're just wondering how the Celtics can get that back. Um, it's going to be tough down the stretch between these two teams. I believe the Celtics have the harder schedule between the two teams. Um, but right now the Bucs are only up a half a game on the Boston Celtics. And we'll see how that race goes throughout the end of the season. And we'll see who has home court throughout the playoffs between these two teams. Continuing as we go into our second uh, storyline of the Eastern Conference to finish up the season, the New York Knicks are actually good. And that has been one of the surprising things of the New York Knicks this year. Have They have been uh, uh, steadily improving over the course of the season. Um, as I talked in other videos, I said if Julius Randle was able to get back to an all-NBA level, 
Um, and he has, especially with scoring 25 points per game, getting 10 rebounds and, and four assists a game. You think that's um, prime Julius Randle there, all NBA uh, third team that we saw a couple of years ago. He's really put himself in a position to be in the conversation as an all NBA player, in my opinion, has really been playing really well. Of course, the addition of Jalen Brunson has been a godsend for this team in terms of just getting them some stability there in the backcourt, a guy that can actually play both sides of the ball. Uh, uh, has a good feel for the game, finding guys, getting them involved um, and really getting the touch and really able to get his own basket. This team is really good at getting their own basket in terms of Julius Randle and Jalen Brunson being able to create and, and, and finish their own shot, something that's very vital in the playoffs. And, of course, that's going on forward. We see that with Luka. We saw that with Jalen Brunson in Dallas last year with Luka in Dallas. Um, and just continuing that with Julius Randle, and actually Julius Randle actually has a point guard that he can play with, somebody that he can feed off of, somebody that he can have a chemistry with late in games. It's not just give the ball to Julius Randle and then just let him figure it out. There's actually some type of version of an offense here going on with the New York Knicks, which is not usually the case. And it's funny because now they're one of the best offensive teams, fourth in offensive rating so far to start the year. Usually you thought they would be rough and rugged on their de- uh, on the defensive end. But the, similar to other teams in the league like Cleveland and Dallas, they play a slow pace, and that really helps them get efficient shots and they don't turn over the ball, especially with Jalen Brunson. That's credit kudos to Jalen Brunson and Thibodeau really uh, fostering this offense to create that opportunities where they can be efficient and dominate on the glass, which they have with Julius Randle and Mitchell Robinson has really been stepping up over the last couple of weeks. Um, and that's really been a, a godsend. Also the addition of uh, Josh Hart at the trade deadline there had, and that's arguably probably the most uh, uh, tips player you can think of in terms of a guy that just comes in, plays hard on the defensive end, actually rebounds, plays tough in that regard and actually can knock down a shot, something that the Knicks definitely need where they couldn't get it with uh, Evan Fournier to start the season and stuff like that. And you saw him follow the rotation to just bring in Josh Hart. It kind of cemented that. Also uh, sending out Cam Reddish in that. Josh Hart is replacing them with defense and the offensive end and giving them rebounds, something that that was something that was desperately needed for this team. He gives them a different look. He fits the garden. He fits the New York Knicks. He fits Tibbs' style. And Tibbs has really gotten this team to get going, especially on the offensive end. Now, are they just hitting the right time? There's right, uh, the, the stride at the right time. It looks like that's the case here with the New York Knicks. They're 9-1 in their last 10. And when's the last time you've seen the Knicks get a 10-game win streak like that? That's something that we've never really seen. Really seen. In the last one, they beat uh, a buzzer beater by Julius Randle against the Heat. They beat the Brooklyn Knicks. They beat the Boston Celtics, the New Orleans Pelicans, the Washington Wizards, the Atlanta Hawks, and the Brooklyn Nets again in that stretch. And and the Utah Jazz. So you're just looking at that schedule there to see that they're beating competent teams. They're beating playoff teams, teams that are battling for playoff position. To see the New York Knicks do that, it's crazy, right? Like we haven't seen that in a long time. This is probably the best this team has been and looked since probably that, uh, of course, that uh, NBA bubble season. And then probably since Lynn Sanity, when you really think about looking at the buzz of the garden and how good they feel right now. Um, kudos to the Knicks. You know, they really battled through it. Of course, all the speculation with Donovan Mitchell heading into the uh, NBA season. They actually built a core actually built chemistry, actually made a smart deadline move that can really help their team going forward with Josh Hart. And you're just seeing the consistency of this team. Um, Julius Randle, of course, I talked about earlier with 25 points per game. Uh, Jalen Brunson has been a hot scorer. I believe he's up there with since the turn of the year. I think he's averaging like 
29 a game or something like that, really putting the ball in the basket for the New York Knicks, probably the best scoring New York Knicks point guard in a long time. <laughs> like, I can't even think maybe Wolf Frazier or uh, was Michael Ray Richardson with them or like that. That's crazy to think about that. They've, they've always needed a scoring point guard or somebody that can put the ball in the basket in the backcourt and to have Jalen Brunson come in like he has, of course, with the speculation over the offseason with free agency and all that. Was he a big signing? People were questioning the contract. And I thought it was a good, solid move for them. Um, but also looking at R.J. Uh, Barrett, who's averaging 19.5 points per game, if he can just continue to knock down shots and be able to find his space, find his points between Jalen Brunson and uh, Julius Randle like he's been all season, um, the New York Knicks are in a good position, and especially when we had question marks about them coming into the season, um, where they would finish, all the speculation about Jalen Brunson, is Tibbs a good coach, whatever the case may be. I think Tibbs has earned his way into an extension with his with this team's performance this year. Um, and kudos to the Knicks with Jalen Brunson and Julius Randle really leading the charge for them. Um, can't say enough about that. And they're, they're playing really well, and we'll see what happens when they get into the playoffs. They have been moving up there. Um, let me check where they are right now in the standings. I believe, hold on one second, people. I believe they're in the fifth seed right now, only a game back behind Cleveland. It's going to be interesting to see if they can catch Cleveland because I feel like Cleveland has been slipping. I'll talk about that in another segment, but it's just like they're right there in position to get to a fourth seed and have home court in the first round of the playoffs against Cleveland or Brooklyn, whatever, however that fills out. Could they get bullish and get to the third seed and try to bump Philly down? I don't know, but just to see this uh, uh, consistency from the Knicks is something that we haven't seen in a long time. So to get this consistency, the guard is buzzing again. The NBA is good when the Knicks are good. Whenever it was a big media market, New York Knicks are a really good, well, historical franchise that the league has marketed and, and been behind. So it's good. The league is good when teams are good. Like when even even as much as I shit on the Lakers, the Knicks, whatever the case may be, the league is good when they're good and in the in the conversation. And the New York Knicks are in the conversation. And you can't say enough about that. And they kind of mirror uh, the Sacramento Kings to me in the Western Conference, where they really just built their team um, and really added good pieces and stayed the course. And both these teams are playing real, really, really, really well right now. And, and, and kudos to the Knicks. Moving on, continuing at number three in our storylines for the Eastern Conference, it is Philadelphia. Can Philly take the next step in terms of what they're going to do in terms of the playoffs? They're only a couple games back. I believe they're four games back of the, the one seed. Can they make a run and get there? Especially with the play, I think they took a step back at the trade deadline in terms of uh, trading Tyrese uh, uh, Thibault there. Um, really taken away from their defense, which I thought would help them, but they needed uh, – that's a Doc Rivers thing where he doesn't play the young guys, of course. But, of course, this team is led by Joel Embiid, who has been a monster this season, has been really dynamic, trying to go for the MVP, and I believe he's third or second right now in the running and playing, but he's playing fantastic with 33 points per game, 10 rebounds and four assists. Getting that type of production from your big man on a nightly basis from inside and outside – and for mid-range, and able, the ability to get to line. He has been leading the charge, especially when James Harden and Tyrus Maxey missed some time there. I believe nearly 20 games or so uh, uh, while those guys were out really carrying the load, and kudos to Joel Embiid for playing through that, um, really helping Philly stay afloat through that time. And, 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 of course, you just think about – we always think about the Philadelphia 76ers in the playoffs. In the past years, they had Ben Simmons. James Harden fell off last year. Um 
Joel Embiid casually gets hurt all the time in, in the playoffs and with weird knickknack injuries and just unfortunate at certain times. Um, but you're just looking, can they take that next step? Can they be, st- be stable enough? Can they have some stability and continue to improve there? Tyrus Maxey has also been awesome for them this season. Um, nearly 20 points per game, and they moved into the bench just to help the bench there. And it's kind of the crying card of the the, the 76ers is who is going to step up outside of those three guys. Um, Tobias Harris has been solid, but I feel like they can get a little bit more production out of him, a little bit more aggressiveness out of him. Um, George Niang stepped up last night in that Bucks game uh, with the Sixers won 133-130. And you're just wondering where can they get some other pieces here to really help them. You got Daniel House, who they brought in. P.J. Tucker's there, more of a defensive enforcer, not really a shooter or a scorer. Um, they got Jalen McDaniels, who was okay, I guess, but I felt like that they could have figured out something there. Um, DeAnthony Melton has been a nice addition for them as well. And you're just wondering where, who, who else is going to step up on this team to really help them. Um, they went with Dwayne Dedman at the deadline as well, getting him, I believe, in buyouts. So that's a backup big that they can have and, and, and plug and play when, I guess, Joel needs minutes, but, uh, I mean, needs rest. But you're really just thinking about how far can James Harden and, and Joel Embiid affect this team and really try to get them going um, in the playoffs because they're obviously going to – I believe they're a second-round team. Can they get to the Eastern Conference Finals if they just – if Joel Embiid and James Harden just dominate? Absolutely. But in the history, that hasn't been the case, of course, with injuries, of course, with shortcomings in the playoffs with James Harden and missing shots and stuff like that. And you're just wondering where can they find any consistency or uh, – uh, ability to take that next step. I don't see it on the roster in terms of what's behind them. I feel like their bench is a little weak, but if they can get one or two of those guys like a Shake Milton or George Niang or Gene and Jalen McDaniels to step up and play really well, um, you're wondering if they can continuously get better. But especially with Joel Embiid, who has been criticized over the past couple years of playing how he plays, a guy that gets 33 points a game, gets to the line efficiently, it's just like you, you, we, that's not the reason why they lose. I mean, and when you look at past playoff blunders, of course, we saw the Ben Simmons situation there um, with him not really scoring in the fourth quarter, not being adaptive, not really being able to work on a shot there. Basically, four and five for Philadelphia late in games with Ben Simmons on the floor. We saw last year where James Harden just kind of faltered and fell out. They have to figure out a way to be, be able to continue to be consistent on that end of the floor that way so they can flourish, especially their defense is going to be there because Joel Embiid is the monster down there. Um, But their offense, they have to figure out a way to get other guys involved so that relieves the pressure off of James Harden, that relieves the pressure off of Joel Embiid. Can can enough guys around them knock down shots? P.J. Tucker is a corner shooter. That's fine. George Niang is a spot-up shooter. Daniel House is supposed to be a three-point shooter. I feel like they're missing one shooter on this team that can really open up the floor for them. They just haven't been able to find that. it's going to be interesting to see what happens with this team in the playoffs, but it's just like you got to see what they can do in the playoffs, especially with Joel Embiid and James Harden. Can they lead enough? Can these guys score enough like we saw tonight on a nightly basis to keep Philadelphia afloat? And can other other guys knock down enough shots for this team? Um, it's going to be interesting to see how that builds, if they can find somebody that's consistent to end the stretch of the season, like a George Niang stepped up tonight. Um, it's going to be interesting to see if that continues and see what happens in the playoffs because they're going to have to depend on somebody to knock down shots. And when Joel Embiid and James Harden don't have it going, who else is going to be able to get it going? Tyrus Maxey is going to be there. They need one more guy there. Is Tobias Harris going to be able to step up? I don't know. And we'll see what happens with Philadelphia moving forward. 
Moving on to our fourth storyline in the Eastern Conference, did the Cleveland Cavaliers take a step back? And the only reason why I ask that is because of the loss of Kevin Love. I felt like he was playing solid for them to start the season, and they kind of fell out of the rotation there. I agreed to a buyout with them and, and really just owed to him for the franchise and basically giving them playing opportunity. He went to Miami, and I felt like that was a big loss for them because he can stretch the floor, still capable of getting you double-doubles in, t- in certain situations. And to see him just leave there and not really fill that void there um, was interesting. And, and I understand they're going to give Mobley and Allen more minutes and stuff like that, but I felt like Kevin Love off the bench was a vital part for them, as well as did they improve on the three spot there. They needed somebody that can play three and D. They brought in Danny Green um, at the deadline there. And it's just like, is that enough? He hasn't really been playing. He's coming off an ACL injury. Is he going to be able to shoot and be able to guard out there now at this stage of his career? Just wondering that because Isaac Coro, um, well, a good defensive player, young player, he's not able to not really knock down shots consistently. He's been able to make a few a couple this year. Um, but I really feel like the Cleveland Cavaliers just took a step back with that move there and not really addressing their bench there. Ricky Rubio has come back from injury and has been really solid for them, able to contribute and in, 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 in help with distributing uh, duties with the second unit, um, able to play a backup point guard at Darius Garland. But I just feel like that's the one thing they're missing there, and especially with Karis LeVert, who's been wildly inconsistent. He's not the most consistent player for in his career. Even though he's a hot scorer and can get hot at moments, he's been really inconsistent and can be in slumps uh, a little too often for the Cleveland Cavaliers and what they need at this point in time. Of course, we know who the big guys are. We know who the stars are. With um, Donovan Mitchell, who has been incredible this year with a 71-point game. um, performance this year, I believe that was against Chicago. Um, he's proven that he's one of the best scorers in the league. He's an all-star, of course, coming in the the off-season acquisition there. Um, and kudos for the, uh, Cleveland to going out and helping a, a guy like Darius Garland, who has been fantastic as well. Kind of fell to the backseat of uh, uh, Donovan Mitchell, but he's having he's getting twenty-two and eight a night there in Cleveland, and these guys work really well together. Um, Cleveland slows down the play, the pace, of course, playing with those two bigs there, but they're able to get shots and able to score with this team uh, and score in the league here where it's really difficult in the past for Cleveland to score. Um, and getting even production out of Evan Mobley and Jared Allen, who are uh, roughly 15 apiece, roughly uh, 10 rebounds a game between the two of them. And when you have that production on the front line, that's pretty good. And you're just wondering if they have enough experience there. I, I just feel like they just need to upgrade at that three spot, and it would make such a big difference for them to just add a three and D guy Maybe they should have been in the the hunt for Jay Crowder as well. Um, just never materialized. They went out and got Danny Green. I don't know how much is that going to help. But we know that main four, that core, is going to be really good for a long time, especially if they're able to knock, uh, figure out those contract situations with Evan Mobley. Um, but, yeah, Cleveland, I just feel like they have the tools there. They're right there maybe a year or two away. But I feel like they missed the opportunity. They are not upgrading their bench. I feel like that's going to hurt them. City Osmond is there, of course. Got uh, Dean Wade, Lamar Stevens, Danny Green, Robin Lopez, who's a backup big. And it's just like I felt like they could have upgraded there, and that would really would have helped them in the playoffs. I felt like they could get. I feel like they can get to the Eastern Conference Finals, but the way Boston, Philly, and Milwaukee are playing right now, it's going to be difficult for them to do that. Um, so we'll see what happens, and 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 I, and I feel like they just missed the opportunity there. Um, trying to improve their bench. I feel like they, they just got somebody who can spread the floor, even a 3 and D guy or even a, 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 
a stretch four there in that spot would have really helped them. Maybe a Mike Muscala who went to Boston could have helped them. That could have been a nice little addition there. But it's going to be interesting to see what Cleveland does and how they perform. And if Isaac and Coro can actually step up and knock down shots for them, then that changes everything. But right now, I just don't see that as a plus for the Cleveland Cavaliers where they could have added somebody who could add it to their, their bench, add it to their depth, and really put them over the hump potentially to get to the Eastern Conference Finals. But now I only see them as a second-round team heading into the final stretch of the season. It's going to be interesting to see how that plays out for Cleveland. Moving on to our last storyline in the Eastern Conference to finish the stretch of the season, can the Miami Heat and the Atlanta Hawks make it out to play in there right there in seventh and eighth? In the Eastern Conference, only a couple games back behind uh, Brooklyn and New York. And it's just looking at these two teams who have been struggling all season, kind of sort of putting it together. Miami has been able to stay uh, uh, together and figure it out and get through, grind out slowly. And you just think of heat culture, how they're just always going to be able to make the playoffs and be able to be there. Uh, but their offenses did nearly did last in the league. I think they're 27th in offensive rating and stuff like that. And, and, it's just like that's not good enough in the league, and they can they knock down enough shots. That's why they brought in Kevin Love. Um, and just wondering where the offense is going to come to, even though they have three guys that are getting 20 points in Jimmy Butler, Bam Adebayo, and Tyler Hero. The rest of the team, they're trying to figure it out. They have Caleb Martin and Victor Oladipo, who's been able to chip in there with 10 points apiece. But you're just really looking at this team, and it's like, where's this offense going to come through? Uh, come from and it's just like well Kyle Lowry is supposed to help with that with distributing and playmaking and toughness and he hasn't really been able to get it going for Miami so far this season um, despite that of course Miami's going to grind it out and be tough with Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo on the defensive end I think they're fourth in defensive rating and you're looking at how those guys are playing this year they're playing fantastic but it's just the rest of the team can they get it going Duncan Robinson has fell off tremendously they're trying to find this three-point shooting, trying to find a spark to their offense so far to start the season and just have not been able to find it. But um, you're hoping with the addition with Kevin Love, he's a stretch four that can play on the, on the front line with Bam and Jimmy, and you're seeing how he, they can, he can fit with them in terms of on the boards and stretching the four, four, threes. Gives them a different dynamic that they haven't had really so far this season, and we'll see what happens with that. Um, moving on to the Atlanta Hawks, who have changed coaches, have gotten rid of Nate McMillan, uh, there was some friction there between him and Trey Young and how the offense was going. Uh, after Nate McMillan was gone, the, the Hawks started winning a little bit. Their offense has gotten better. They added Sadiq Bay at the trade deadline. Um, who I think was just needed to help them really shoot the ball there. They haven't been shooting the ball this year really well from three. So to get Sadiq Bay, who has history of being a really knockdown shooter and really knocking things down for them, that was a good addition for them and see if that helps them uh, move out of the play-in. Uh, I believe it was somewhere where the GM or owner or something like that for the Atlanta Hawks was like, we well, should be better than our record right now. And I believe that as well. You have Trey Young and Javante Murray. There should be something brewing there, even though those guys are playing well, even though Trey Young started off slow shooting the ball. Uh, 